0: So last night, all right, we learned as sheep, as we're all like sheep, right, we're sheep, okay, that we need, we need a guide for life, right, with a capital G. We need a guide for life, okay, not just a hired hand who does it for money and then if something comes along like a predator then just runs away. No, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd, okay, we need a true shepherd, okay, who loves us and who knows us. And we know him. And we follow him, okay? He laid down his life for us. Like we just sang. He's a good, good shepherd. He's a good, good shepherd. And by the end of this week, I hope you know him. Our prayer has been totally for you the entire time getting ready, is that you will know him more intimately as your good, good shepherd who wants to lead you in paths of righteousness who has amazing still water for you, who has amazing green grass for you, who you will live with him forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, Psalm 23 wasn't meant for funerals. (laughs) Did you know that? It wasn't like, you know what I'm thinking about in Psalm 23? This can rock during funerals. This is what only used during that, right? It's for now. It's for now. So I want to be able to share that this morning, we're going to learn, we're going to dig in how to become, how to become the kind of sheep that hear his voice, that hear his voice, that we don't want to wander, that we know that the good shepherd knows us, and we know him, okay, that he's a good, good shepherd, and that we want to follow follow him wherever he leads. There's the key. We want to follow him wherever he leads, because you're not looking around, you're just looking at the shepherd. And wherever the shepherd takes you is absolutely perfectly fine. Wherever he leads, you'll follow. You'll follow. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you once again. Uh, We need to uh, still our hearts, and we need you to speak, Lord. Thank you for uh, worship. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for how you have made us your sheep. And so I ask, Lord, that we would lay down all the, I don't know, maybe early morning things that have happened or maybe not decent enough sleep or whatever, all those little peas in our shoes or little annoyances, God, that, that um, just tend to rise up, God, that we'd lay those down and we would listen because you have something really, really sweet, sweet, sweet truth to tell us individually just what we need to hear. Maybe it's a rebuke. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's correction. Maybe it's just telling you, yeah, you know what, just keep on keeping on. Maybe it's to do with repentance. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would go and teach us all truth because that's what you do. You're a guide. You're a counselor. You illuminate our mind. And so we're asking for that right now. And so, Lord, we want you to speak because we're listening in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Oh, you guys are getting so good at that. All right, thank you. All right, so we're going to learn to be that kind of sheep. Now, to be that kind of sheep, we're going to have character traits. We have character traits that will help convince the other sheep in the flock that we're actually his sheep. So we'll have these character traits, okay? And so we intimately know the shepherd, we intimately know that he's good, and we keep close to him. And the other flock will know that about us, okay? So the question we all need to face is if we enjoy being that kind of sheep. If we enjoy being his sheep that the rest of the sheep look to. Do we enjoy that? Because Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and calls us to be his sheep, and from our text this weekend in John 10, right, with his character traits. Not the sheep traits, but with his character traits. After all, we are following him, we're focusing on him. Let's look at John 10, 2 through 5. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Let's watch this short video of what God is talking about, about leading his sheep. Watch this carefully. Flock? Did you find yourself? Were you close to the shepherd? Were you right there at his feet? Were you lagging behind? Were you taking the rough way over the rocks? Did you see when they were going through that narrow and all the sheep are following the shepherd and then two were like, I gotta go up here. I gotta go up in these rocks up here. And meanwhile, all the other sheep are taking the easy road and they're like, Right, and then they have to come down. Were you that sheep? (laughs) Did you see the sheep that was carried on the donkey? Yes. Okay, Were were you an injured sheep? Right, with the shepherd. Visual. He's a good shepherd. We're his sheep. Trusting the Lord to be our shepherd can be hard. It can be hard. We want control. We want answers, and most certainly we don't want to follow him through the hard places. But the good shepherd has good, good plans for his sheep over and over again, and we can certainly trust the one who willingly laid down his life for us. John 10 once again, 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay it down and I lay down my life for the sheep. So we're gonna look at, once again, I'm gonna remind you of some, of some sheepish, fleshly characteristics, for instance, Foolish, slow to learn, demanding, stubborn, strained, strong, unpredictable, restless, and dependent. Because the first thing that the good shepherd starts to do is he starts to come alongside us because he wants our character to change from our fleshly character into his character. In his character. Now, we learned a bunch last night and Thursday night. Okay, I'm going to remind you. We, like sheep, are foolish. We are foolish, okay? What happens is... This is great, An American, American and Japanese veterinarian students, okay? They did a study, and they ranked sheep as 25th in intelligence out of 56 farm animals. So we're pretty average, right? We're pretty average, all right? Um, not bad, okay? But they seem to only know how to do one thing well, eat grass <laughs> and eat more grass. And continue to eat grass and then make more that eats grass. Okay? They do that extremely well. Okay? Also, remember, we as sheep are are really, really slow to learn. We're slow to learn. Okay? Every shepherd will tell you countless stories of the sheep that were caught in a painful lesson. Okay? And yet, guess what? They'll go right back to that painful lesson. They'll go right back to it. They're caught in barbed wire. The shepherd has to come again. They'll go right back to that barbed wire over and over and over again, okay? Does it sound familiar, little sheep? (laughs) We, like sheep, are demanding, are demanding. Have you ever watched a lamb suckle its mother? It's like it's killing the mother, okay? I mean, almost as soon as it's born, it's violently sucking the mother's udders violently okay it's an insatiable demand that never ever ever leaves them they demand then grass and grass and more grass and more grass day and night and when the snow is on the ground then they demand food from the shepherd and they bleat, B-L-E-A-T, they bleat and bleat and bleat until their troughs are full and then they're fine then they're not restless anymore remember we like sheep are stubborn we're stubborn okay have you ever tried to move a sheep yes i mean i think karen has right i mean it's next to impossible it's next to impossible it's like trying to move an elephant and and if you've ever tried to see a shepherd try to maneuver a sheep into a fold or into a pen or into a dip tank they're just as stubborn as can be because you know why we like sheep are strong we're strong okay the most macho of shepherd men have been beaten by sheep. You know why? Remember, we talked about they've got the skinny arms and legs, or all the, I guess they only have arms, but all legs, right? The skinny legs, right? Wait, are those pigs? No, okay. <laughs> the sheep, right? They're the skinny, skinny legs, okay? And they think it's easy, and the next thing, they're wrestling with the sheep in the dirt. They're like face down in the dirt. Then we, like sheep, are unpredictable. I was studying, um, there's a lot of sheep in the Scottish Highlands, so I was studying a lot about sheep um, in Scotland. And that's, uh, this was in Israel that I showed you, but in Scotland as well. And they're beautiful black-faced sheep. And they were talking about how the shepherds would have like a little cart and they would drive down, and they'd be driving down this um, highway, and they were not... The shepherd of that flock of sheep and they're driving down everything and pretty soon they're just grazing and everything and they're just standing there and grazing and so they think oh we'll go by the second they start going by what do you think the whole flock does mm-hmm. they move right across you like what are you doing what are you doing unpredictable they're totally unpredictable okay and then remember we talked about we're restless we're restless two things bug us hunger and bugs Okay, remember the sheep? Okay, for a sheep to lie down in freedom, listen carefully, they need freedom from fear. They need freedom from friction from others. They need freedom from hunger and freedom from pests and parasites. For them to lie down and not be restless, they have to have those freedoms. And the cool thing is, is we like sheep are the same everywhere. If you're in Africa, a sheep is a sheep. If you're in Europe, a sheep is a sheep. If you're in Asia, a sheep is a sheep, right? We're the same everywhere, all the time, okay? If not in character, in looks, in looks, okay? And so the best part though is we are made like sheep to be followers, to be followers. Just be very careful who you're following who you're following. Okay, so what happens is, remember we talked about last night, when one sheep starts running, guess what the sheep behind him does? Run. And if you ask that sheep why you're running, oh, that one's running. Oh, I'm running, and the next sheep will run. Well, why are you running? Well, they're running. Well, they just keep following. Remember all the ones that jumped off the cliff? Yeah, they just keep running, okay? And it'll be the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and then we, like sheep, are straying, straying. And perhaps the main reason that scripture chooses sheep to characterize us more than any other animal. Remember, 220 times in the Bible, is because it's well-deserved reputation, well-deserved reputation for strain and getting lost. For instance, I read stories about um, many a times um, shepherds um, would be in the middle of nowhere, and they would just come across a sheep. They would come across a sheep. Miles from anyone, miles from anywhere, totally unconcerned. They just strayed. Remember, if the shepherd doesn't go after the sheep, he's lost. Remember, Jesus always goes after you, he always initiates, he always comes after you. Always. Or shepherds would look up on a cliff and they'd see a sheep, you know, up there and, like, what, how, how'd you get up there? Or they, they would listen to this. They would be fishing sometimes miles from anywhere, the shepherds would be, okay, and they'd come across ditches and bogs, and they'd see the decaying, decaying remains of a wandering sheep. And they would think, How'd that sheep get out there? How did that sheep get out there? We know. Isaiah 53:6 says this. Right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of us all. In Luke 15, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose you, one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Watch this video.
1: Who's this uh, who on the left? It's the shepherd. The shepherd? Mm-hmm. Who's our shepherd? Jesus. Yeah. What are all these on the right? Sheep. They're all the sheep? What's the thing in his hand? A staff. A staff? What is he doing <laughs> with that?
0: If the sheep is falling, then he can pull him up. If the sheep is obese,
1: then you can't stay with him. Ah. And what's that? So what's this on the other side? Well, this is the sheep. Another sheep, the lost sheep. The lost sheep? And And he's on the grass. There's someone on top of him. He's inside of the grass so the shepherd can't see him. Oh my. He looks pretty lost to me. What's going to happen to him? I don't know. The shepherd might pull him out of the grass. Is the shepherd going to go find him? Yeah, he's going to pull him out of the grass as the step. Wow. Wow. Isn't Jesus a a good shepherd to go after that lost sheep? Yeah, he's a really good shepherd. (laughs) He's a very good shepherd.
0: Yeah, it's good because Jesus
1: is a good thing. He'll his body, his life down for that lost sheep. Oh. So he loves that sheep so much, huh? Yeah, he really loves that lost sheep. Mm-hmm. And those sheep
0: too! <coughs> He's a really good shepherd, mm-hmm. Yeah. is that so good? Yeah, those sheep too! He's a very good shepherd right? That's how we should be. And you know why he goes after that lost sheep? Because sheep tend to be independent, right? We just want our own way. We want our own way. We want our own way and so he goes after him and when one is lost, the Good Shepherd goes after that one. And that's why the Good Shepherd starts with our character. All of this fleshly sheep stuff isn't working for you. I want you to have my character and follow hard after me and know my voice. D.L. Moody defined character as this: We who we are when no one is looking, who we are when no one is looking, who we are when we're alone in the dark. There's your character. I call it our as is. I call it our as is okay? And what are? character is, is when life comes upside you and bumps you on your head, it's what's inside already that spills out. You can't fake that. Some kind of circumstance, a person, whatever comes and just bumps you upside as life always does. Whatever's inside already is going to spill out. That's your character. That's your character. And I call that authenticity. Authenticity, Okay. The dictionary defines authenticity as conforming to what is represented or claims to be. In other words, authenticity is when there is an obvious consistency between words and actions, between words and actions, between claimed values and actual priorities. I claim this way, uh, you're not living that way. The opposite of authenticity is inauthenticity. Is inauthenticity, okay? And so, and so claiming to be one thing while proving with your actions, proving with your life that you're another. That's inauthenticity. I remember, this is probably about ten years ago, we live in Oconomowoc, and some fierce, straight winds came through. And uh, I was driving the kids uh, in at the time in a minivan, and, and we heard, you know, it go off on the radio and everything, and straight winds were coming through. And so I remembered, oh, don't park under a tree, right? It's like don't get shelter there. So we went into a, a parking lot and waited there, and waited out, and we prayed and prayed and prayed. And um, the next day when we wanted to drive where we had been, and that huge tree that the kids were like, Mom, there's, you know, let's park. And I'm like, nope, not under a tree. It was down, and it was down across Highway P. And it was a huge, huge um, old oak, huge, huge, okay, and so and so it just went down in a gust of wind. and I thought, "Wow, it looked strong on the outside." I mean, a huge, huge old oak, okay, but it, when it fell, it was discovered that the inside was totally diseased. So all it took was a gust of wind for that whole tree to go over. in other words the tree was portraying something that it was not. The tree was portraying something that it was not. It looked great on the outside. It looked great. The leaves were you know blooming everything. Okay it looked great but it was rotten. It was rotten on the inside which is why it only took a gust of wind to knock it down. And that's the same way with the disease of inauthenticity. It eats away at the power of us as believers. It eats away at us over and over and over again. So many times our walk doesn't match our talk and people are watching it. Our outside doesn't match our inside because we're not living what we say we believe. We say Jesus is my good, good shepherd and that he gives us peace that passes all understanding and that we lose our cool and slam on the horn when somebody doesn't let us get through a yellow light. What? Are you kidding me? I could have made it through. He's my good, good shepherd. Or will we say we believe in the grace of God, right? But we're hateful and unforgiving towards someone who has wronged us. Oh, but I love his grace. Those are the same people who desperately need the grace that we claim to dispense. I mean, so often we say one thing and we do another. And our lives don't match our beliefs and it's that incongruent lifestyle, you know what it does to the other sheep around you? They don't want to follow the shepherd. They don't want to follow who you're following. We're a strange sheep. And then we're leading sheep away the wrong direction. We're leading them away from the shepherd. It makes us weak, it makes us ineffective as his sheep, as his sheep to use in reaching others. See, when others see you and I as believers, as his sheep, not living up to the relationship that we say that we have in this amazing God of ours, they respond by doing this. They close the door to their lives. They just close it. They're not open to the witness of hypocrites. We had next-door neighbors that lived next to us uh, in Oconomowoc, um, Ken and Lois, I'll never forget. Uh, we used to have Good News Club uh, on our, our large patio deck uh, in the back of our yard. And, and um, so Lois brought over her granddaughter because she thought, oh, well, this is great. We always had you know music and worship and, and eats and everything, and we'd probably have 20, 30 kids, and I would teach them like a junior church, good, like a Good News Club it was called. And Lois would always watch. And then she'd say, Oh, my granddaughter's here. And I said, Well, why don't you come too? Why don't you come too? And sure enough, the granddaughter came to know Jesus, and so did Lois. And then Ken was like, I don't know what's going on. What's going on, right? And he was madder than a hatter at the church. Madder than a hatter. He had a lot of money from Burridge, Illinois. They had moved to a kind walk on the lake next to us just to live and garden and this, this. And he was madder than a hatter because he said, The church wanted my money and the church wanted this and this, and that. And they went after me. And I said, I said, Ken, you know what? You can be mad at that person who did that. I said, you know what, you can do that. But you can't be mad at God. He didn't do that. People are going to fail you. People are going to be hypocrites. But never Jesus. I said, he will never fail you ever fail you. So every time I'd be out, we would, you know, we'd get him food, we'd ask him over, we'd help him you know, do their gardening, whatever. And so we'd pour into him. And every time I was out walking down the lake or anything, here would come Ken, hey Margo, hey Margo, and this, this, and he would follow me like a hawk. Because I think he wanted to know if what I'm saying is true. And at the same time, I was on the fish at that same time, and of course he's like, well I was listening to you on the radio, you're sort of funny. And I'm like, <laughs> It was so amazing, I just got to pour into him, and he watched me, and he watched me, and he watched Brian. Was I his sheep, or was I going to be one leading him somewhere else? Ken got esophageal cancer. He used to smoke cigars and pipes and everything, but that's what opened his heart to not be mad at God anymore. And I was able to share with him. I said, you know what? He loves you that much. He doesn't want you to miss eternity forever and ever and ever. I said, this life is just about here. That's it. Just a little drop in the water. I said, we have all of eternity to live for. I said, where are you living it, Ken? Here. I said, yeah. But I don't think for a lot longer, do you? No. So God reached out. Allowed me to share the good news with God.
1: People are watching you.
0: Are you authentic? Are you his sheep? Or are you inauthentic? survey from Billy Graham Evangelistic Association said, when asked why they don't go to church, 78% responded that Christians are hypocrites. When that same 78% were asked if they would listen to a gospel presentation, that means that they just share about the good news of Jesus, like you'd share your story and a relationship and how you can come to know Jesus as a relationship and he will live in you in the Holy Spirit, and right? it just, right, just Gospel presentation for five minutes, 78% out of the 78%, 73% said a resounding yes. Said a resounding yes. All those other sheep around us are watching us. They're watching to see if we're his sheep, if we hear his voice, how we live, if we follow him. And by the way, another amazing thing about sheep, they have excellent vision. No wonder they're watching us. Excellent vision. They have visual fields of 270 to 320 degrees. Okay, that means they can see behind themselves without turning their heads. Right? Talk about watching us. Talk about vision, right? So they're watching very carefully how we live. Okay, they're listening to our words, and they're seeing if who we are is who we say we are. They want to see if it's matching up to our beliefs. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says this, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. By the way that we follow the Good Shepherd, the way we go about our daily tasks, We are either telling the young lambs and the curious ones like Ken and Lois around us, right, that our walk with the Good Shepherd is absolutely an incredible relationship with the living God or that it is a meaningless way of life. Period. We have nothing to offer them because we're fakes. So why would they follow? Love this. Love these three sheep right here and all the rest behind following that shepherd, right? Following on that mountain path, wherever the shepherd goes, I'm following. Let me tell you something. My mom was his sheep. My mom made me homesick for what she had. My mom was that first sheep right there by that shepherd. She never strayed. She was close at his feet. She was. Always there, wherever he went. And let me tell you something. I watched her with that sheep vision. I wanted her to fail. I wanted to be right. Her faith was a faith worth having because it impacted the way she lived. And I wanted her faith. It influenced all of her decisions. It influenced all of her actions. I knew I didn't have that. And so I watched her remember our main verse for the weekend say it with me my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me John 10 27 one more time my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me John 10:27. see when you hear his voice you follow him there's no strain there's no demanding there's no stubbornness okay you're just following That was my mom. Okay, She influenced everyone around her for the Good Shepherd. J.B. Miller says this about influence. Listen very carefully. There have been meetings of only for a moment, which has left. Let me start again. There have been meetings of only for a moment, which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand that mysterious thing we called influence. Yet every one of us continually exerts influence either to heal, to bless, to leave marks of beauty, or to wound, to hurt, to poison, or to stain other lives. Let's continue in the saga of Becky's testimony.
1: I now was the one saying to Dave, I can't date you if you're not a Christian, just like Herbert said to me. Dave's response? I'm a Christian. So after sharing with my, with him my sordid past, and my promiscuity, and my drug addiction, and how Jesus had saved me from that and totally redeemed that, I invited Dave to church and he said yes. So it was incredibly easy to fall in love with Dave. I fell hard and quick. He's fun. He's kind. He's patient, where I am impatient. He is so genuine with people and gentle. But Dave's funny in a way that I'm not. He doesn't need to be the center of attention and people just gravitate towards him. And he's confident, but still a little awkward, which was totally endearing, I thought. And all his buddies' wives were so protective of him that I knew he was a great guy. I mean, they adored him, and they were really worried about what I would do to him. And so Dave was the catch, and 16 months later, I caught him, and we got married. But it wasn't until much later that I would learn that Dave didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, same as me before. I thought he did, and he thought he did, but he'd only done enough to get the girl. Dave and I had some tough stuff thrown at us the first few years of our marriage. My mom had lung cancer, my dad passed away, and then we began a five-year season of infertility. The problem was me, and I was constantly disappointed and it was draining for both of us. And after years of waiting and several early term miscarriages, our infertility woes would end in May of 1996. And that's when we would meet our beautiful red-haired Stephanie, a gift from God. And he had answered our prayers and we so desperately wanted to be parents. And once Steph arrived, I quit my full-time job to be a full-time mom. And Dave opened his first company. Uh, with a former work associate. It was an exciting time for us. Um, his first assignment would actually take him out of town every Monday morning and he wouldn't come back till Fridays. So that was hard. And when he was home, he had to spend a lot of time building the new business. and I understood that, but little there was little time left to invest in us and you know drift apart just started to happen. I never thought we would be able to have another child, I took a so long to of stuff, and I was so surprised to learn I was pregnant again. I scheduled a meeting with Dave at the end of the week to tell him the news, um, but to be honest, our life was really strained. He was so distant. Something was wrong, um, more so than just the stress of running a business or having it fail. So as we sat at that kitchen table after I got Steph asleep, I told him I was pregnant and I can remember the pained look on his face and then he dropped his head to the table and I just sat there waiting and he lifted up his head and he asked me, are you going to keep it? I didn't respond. I didn't know what to say and and he said, I'd like a divorce. I don't love you. I love someone else and I'm leaving. I asked when, I don't know if I was crying. I don't, I don't really remember everything about this conversation to be honest, I was kind of in shock. And um, he said, a few days, maybe a week. And so I went upstairs to our bedroom and to my bathroom. I locked the door and I got sick. And I cried myself to sleep that night, trying to cry as soft as I could because I didn't want him to hurt me. I got more details about what had happened from him. It was an emotional affair with a business associate a friend of mine. She had young children and it had been going on for several months. She understood him. She listened to him. She supported him. She seemed to respect him. I couldn't wait for him to leave. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I cried all the time. I could barely take care of Stephanie. It was was awful. Dave and I began sleeping in different rooms and then we just tried to our disdain from each other in front of our daughter. Kids know, you know? So he would kiss our toddler goodbye and say, I'll move out tonight when I get home. And that continued for several weeks. My friends, my friends were great. They supported me. And they came from a place of love, but not all of their good advice was God's plan for me. And as well-meaning as it was, it would have been the worst thing in the world if I had listened to it. Kick him out, they said, give him an ultimatum. If he won't counsel, you need to get him out of there or move to your mom's, take Stephanie, go. And that's when I finally heard God speak to me. And I mean audibly, which is pretty cool. Um, I was rocking stuff. It was before she took a nap. And all of a sudden I was remembering how beautiful our wedding was, all the details of it, and our vows. I thought back to our vows. And Dave and I had wrote them together and we had said, I I give you this ring as a token of my love, first to God, and then to each other. And as I put the ring on your finger, we'll begin our lives together as one. You know, our marriage was built and designed under God's authority, and it was intended to glorify Him. And that's when I clearly heard God speak in my ear, you stay. He may go, but you stay. There is a verse in Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And at this point, God was the only one left holding any strand of us together. So I stayed, but I wasn't happy about it. And I told God that every possible chance I could. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be continued <laughs> tonight <laughs> <laughs> wasn't happy about it but I stayed. Right? Did you hear about all the other sheep around her who like giving her advice? Did you hear that? That's called <laughs> your posse. <laughs> you don't run to them. They, like Job's friends, can take you off kilter. Remember I just read about influence? The major influence needs to be your good shepherd. Because he knows the end from the beginning. He has his best plans for you. Oh, you may be going through some rocky time and everything, but you're following hard after the shepherd. Before Lee Strobel became a Christian, he was an atheist. If you remember Lee Strobel, he's written like The Case for Christ, The Case for Christmas. He had been a uh, uh, journalist with the Chicago Tribune. He had been at Willow Creek Church. And he said before he became a Christian, he wanted and he watched Christians so that he would have an excuse not to become one. So he'd he'd watch them very 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 carefully and he writes this and I quote his quote when I walked into church as a skeptical unbeliever my hypocrisy antenna was scanning the place for signs that people were just playing church in fact I was aggressively on the lookout for phoniness opportunism or deception because I felt if I could find an excuse for rejecting the church on the grounds of hypocrisy I could feel free to reject Christianity as well. Proves his point. It just proves his point, he thought, right? And back to my mom, that's exactly what I did with my mom. That's exactly what I did with him. I was her. I was always looking for her to fail. I was always looking so I could go on in my own, like, independent, arrogant way, okay, my, my own way. And thankfully, she was authentic. She was authentic in her character. And she gave away her life for me so I could find mine. And so I could come to Jesus when I was 31 years old. Can I read just a little segment out of the book? The Lord had me write um, Unwavering, this book, last year. Last October actually actually came out. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from here. Um, It's called Unwavering. Learning to do the next right thing in your walk with God. and It's basically my life story. And then I have devotions in every single chapter. And so the first chapter is like, um, I got this. Like, you know, I got this, right? And not so much. And it's all these different uh, incredible devotions in Scripture, how God was speaking to me during this time. And then the second chapter says, "Mm, not so much. And then how he's speaking to me there. So uh, let me go to page um, 22 here. I want to read something. Uh, about my life. Instead of turning to God's best, I turned to the flash and dance of the world, becoming more and more consumed with my image. While I was working at a health club, the manager, a bodybuilder with 55-inch chest and 19-inch arms, courted me. Thinking I could correct the past mistakes I had made in my first marriage, I married him, unaware that he came with his own unique set of luggage. Doesn't everyone? It was always alcohol that started the raging. We'd be out and having fun, somebody would look at me and he would get into people's faces and explosively impose himself before them. I would walk away. And all the while, my mom kept praying for me as she kept trusting the unseen. She had no idea about my abusive marriage since I hid it quite well. I didn't want to be another failure to myself or my family. She knew something was amiss, but also knew God was at work, and she wasn't about to give up now. See, when you finally share something about being in an abusive relationship, you've built so much shame in yourself over the fact that you know you're living a double life that you think others will look at you that way too. You blame yourself. That's why abused women don't leave. It's their fault, they think. They can fix it. God just extracted Jim from my life. He moved to California. I never knew I was his fifth wife and my mom prayed on. Mom told me years later that she had no idea I would have to hit lower than rock bottom before I would look up. Oh, honey, she said, I'm just so grateful that you're alive. There was no blame. She knew that she knew God was able. I can still hear her quoting Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Once again, this woman wouldn't be moved. She firmly stood on God's promises. She was the real deal. I remember inviting Jesus to enter through the door of my life. I was hanging upside down on the swinging trapeze bar while my mom was still soaring on the swing I jumped off and jubilantly exclaimed, I'm not going to live for myself anymore, Mom. I'm not going to sow it in my flesh. I'm going to live for Jesus all the rest of my days. What had just emerged from my mouth? It erupted from my overflowing heart. I had decided to follow Jesus. There was no turning back. I recognized and owned my own yuck, my own sin. I owned what Jesus had died for on the cross. He had already forgiven me, I passed present, and future sin. It was my sin that had put him on the cross. He didn't even need your sin. Mine was enough to keep him there. By faith, I confessed my sin and repented. In other words, I finally admitted that my wrongs were sin. I quit blaming everyone else for my putrid behavior. I had excused my poor conduct long enough. I came to the end of my sin and did a complete 180-degree turn. I wasn't running to sin anymore. I was running to God. I had a change of heart and mind. I was determined to avoid such behaviors in the future by daily yielding to him in unwavering faith. Mom hurriedly jumped off the swing and threw her arms up into the bluer than blue sky, exclaiming, Hallelujah, which is the highest form of praise. Thank you, Jesus. She cried out as tears of joy ran from her dark brown, doe-like eyes. After all these years of running from Jesus, when I finally fell into his arms, he kindly whispered in my ear, What took you so long? I've been waiting for you to follow me It's a good shepherd. All these years, all around us, we have co-worker sheep. We have friend sheep. We have commuter sheep. We have shopper sheep. We have family sheep. And they're using that same hypocrisy antenna to examine your life and to examine mine. Would they follow us? Would we lead them to the Good Shepherd? Or would they follow us off a cliff? They're not interested in following us unless they observe attractive, consistent patterns in living. They want to know what makes you tick. Who are you following? What you say is what you do. See, before we can become these transparent, contagious believers, we first have to live in a way that the sheep around us are convinced that we actually have the best way to live. Look at all the fallouts, sadly to say, of the churches nowadays. Moral failures. Creating toxic, controlling atmospheres within churches. Taking monies that don't belong to them. I remember sweet Stuart Briscoe who would always say, "Margot, three things will take you down. Sex, greed, or power. See, authentic Christ-like character constantly impresses everyone around you. Everyone. Believers and non-believers alike. You know why? Because it gets their attention. Because there's something different about you. There's something different, okay? God designed us, all of us, to admire the virtue and character traits that he possesses. He designed us that way. Not that we as sheep possess, but he possesses. Think of it. Think of it. Unbelieving men and women who were repulsed by the religious leaders in the word of God were attracted to Jesus. They're repulsed by the religious leaders, but they're attracted to Jesus. Why? Because whenever they would observe him, they saw godly traits described in Galatians 5, 22 through 29. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This means if we want to be his sheep that hear his voice and follow him, we must embrace his character traits. We must allow God to make us into godly women. We must keep our eyes on the Good Shepherd and follow hard after him, not turning to the left, not turning to the right, just keeping our eyes because he has his best plans for us. We become who we focus on, ladies. We become who we focus on. Therefore, our first priority has to be, like I said last night, our non-negotiable face-to-face time with the good shepherd in the mornings. Right? Get out your word, read it. It's the only book as you read it, it reads you. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. He spoke it. It's not just a book. It's God's words that will change you over and over and over again and change your character into being like him. Those thousand invisible mornings when no one sees you but him. Alone time with the good shepherd. It's so, so good. It's in the secret place that we're changed by him. In the secret place. And his character, and he changes our thoughts. He changes our ways, moment by moment, day by day, day by day. And then we're recognized as being one of his followers. Oh, that's a good shepherd sheep. That's his sheep. We're his followers. We're his sheep. The ones that don't stray. The ones that lead the other sheep to the good shepherd. The ones that don't have to be sought out by the shepherd due to getting in trouble, like this sheep. Look at this guy. (laughs) This, This guy was in trouble. This guy's name is Shrek. Shrek the sheep. This is a true story. He became famous several years ago when he was found hiding out in a cave for six years six years well for six years his fleece grew and grew and grew as you can see by the photo because no one was there to shear it right when he finally was found and shaved he had 60, six, zero pounds of fleece on him 60 normal sheep normal sheep have 10 pounds of fleece before they're sheared okay so for six years listen carefully to me for six years Shrek carried six times the regular weight of his fleece, simply because he was away from his shepherd. Simply because he was away from his shepherd. This story brings us back to the text for the weekend, right? John 10, where Jesus compares himself to the good shepherd, and we're his followers, we're his sheep. I think Shrek, this dude, this Shrek, Maybe, might be like one of us. Who knows Jesus? Who knows the Good Shepherd? But's wandered, but has wandered away, has strayed. And if we avoid Jesus' constant refining of our character, we're going to accumulate the extra weight of this world. All the big burdens that he never intended for you to carry, ever simply because you're away from the shepherd. We were never made to bear that weight. So when Shrek was found, a professional shearer took care of Shrek's fleece in only 28 minutes. Zip, 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 just 28 minutes, Shrek's 60-pound fleece was finally removed. And guess what? All it took was coming home to the shepherd. Right? That's all it took was coming home to the shepherd. I believe that Jesus can lift the burdens that you carry. I know he does for me all the time. We weren't made to carry the burdens. He does that over and over. If you only stop hiding from him, if you only let him go after maybe some of your stubborn sheep character traits, so you can become more and more like his character. He can shave off your fleece. That's that self-imposed burden that you put on yourself, right, because you've wandered away from the Good Shepherd. He wants you to come home to him. He wants this in Matthew 11, in closing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." It's your own decision. You know one of the best gifts he ever gave us is a free will. That means that like with with my daughters when they're growing up and even now I'm responsible to them. I'm not responsible for them. They have their own will. My mom was responsible to me. She wasn't responsible for all my wrong choices. I was, because I had my own self will. He wants to be your good shepherd. He doesn't want you to carry the burden. He doesn't want you to be strained. He wants to be right at his feet, right at his feet, all the time, because he'll carry that. I mean, we laugh, we look at Shrek, we think, what an idiot. Look at the guy. I mean, really? Look at him. Um, right? Jesus goes, come on, just like I wrote my book, come on, what took you so long? Let's come back. Follow me. I'm the good, good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word that doesn't return void. Thank you that we do not have to stray, that we can You go after our character, God, so that we'll stay right there, so we can have your character traits, so we can be full of your love, your peace, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control, God. Thank you that you know each of us by name, And you call each of us by name. And you know some of our character traits happen to be more this way as a sheep, and some others are more this way as a sheep, and you know that. But you have got the absolute solution for it all because you're the good, good shepherd, and you laid down your life for us so we could know you, and you know us, and then we follow hard after you. Lord, may we be authentic. May our talk match our walk, God. And may our walk match our talk. Lord, speak to us this afternoon as we have activities and in the room and crafts and outside and being with one another or maybe alone or on the prayer walk. Lord, speak to us. Continue to speak to us. God, let us not just say, okay, session's done. Lord, it's all about you and not about us, because we want to know you more and more this week as the good, good shepherd, in Jesus' name. Amen.